0: Time to Thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bakum. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hi, this is Lee Balcom. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you Thrive no matter what life throws your way. We're also doing this as a video feed. So you can also be watching this on YouTube or on the website, or you may be listening uh, from a podcast app or on our website. So wherever you are, welcome. We're in the middle of a series on building a thriving body. Now, let me be clear that what I'm not talking about here is a six pack body or a perfect body or a hard body or a beach body or any other kind of body shape. We're talking about being the best we can be in our body. I truly believe that our body has to take us through life so we can thrive, and so we have to take care of it to get to that place. I've been myself at a place where I wasn't doing that, and I know the ramifications of not stepping up and not taking care of yourself. And so I want to be talking about how to best deal with what we have. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm somebody who has been looking at ways of thriving in my own body, and I just want to share that as information on how to get there yourself. Now this is uh, several weeks into the series. Our first week was an introduction about how I got here and my own story of dealing with a life-threatening illness and getting to the other side to realize that I had been neglecting and abusing my body for some time before that. The week after that, I talked about fuel, the food, the fuel you put into your system and how you run that body with the fuel. Then the week after that, last week, we talked about exercise and some ways of getting some basic structures in there to build your body and and allow it to be the best it can be as it moves through the world. This week, I want to drop back and answer some questions about that fueling your system. Uh, evidently, that, that podcast, I got some notice from some people who said, hey, I've got some questions about what you said. So I want to answer those questions today. Now, first, I want to talk about a couple of things because I had some people say, so you're you're doing all this, but what if something bad comes along? I mean, I got sick or what if there's an accident? Well, I truly believe that there are two groups that we need to watch out for. One are the things we cannot control and the other are the things we can control. So the things we cannot control, we can't control the genetics we're born into, Now, we can control sometimes how those genes are activated through how we treat our body. So there is what they call epigenetics of looking at how the substructures of our genetic components are triggered by what we do, what's in our environment. And then there are are also those other pieces of... Being at the wrong place at the wrong time, when we're in an accident or we catch an illness or maybe just an illness develops, maybe because of nothing on our own, exposure to chemicals in other places that that can happen. And so those are the things we can't control. And it doesn't mean that we can't be mindful of those things, but they're, not out, they're outside of our control. They're not things we can directly stop from happening. That leaves us with the things that are within our control, and that's where I think that we spend our time. If we're living a thriving life, we're spending our time looking at the places where we do have control, and that's where we get to the things like how you fuel your body, how you exercise your body, how you move through space, how you deal with your rest, your sleep, which we'll talk about in a coming episode, and how you deal with the stress. Those are the places you do have control. So as we're thinking about that, we begin to recognize that we're not built to last forever. Our bodies are mortal, are going to have an expiration date, and all we're trying to do is stay as healthy as we can until that point and to stretch that point out as far as we can and be functional in life. So that's what we're here for, to build a thriving body. As you're trying to make an impact in the world, in your own life, in your family's life, your body goes with you. That's the thing that I missed along the way, that you take yourself along. And so part of what we want to look at is how we do that, how we thrive through our life. And as I said, I got some questions about what I talked about that uh, that week about fuel. And so I want to go back to that whole thing about fueling your body. How do we do that? So the first question was, is food really that important? Isn't fuel just fuel? Well, you could say that because indeed fuel is just fuel, but we kind of know what happens if we use the wrong kind of fuel in something and we know what happens when we l- use cheap fuel. A couple of times I've stopped at some uh, station, gas station somewhere far off the beaten path and put some gas in my car and suddenly I find my car is running rough. That's what happens when we put that fuel that's not quite so good into it. Now, here's the thing about the human body. The human body is pretty resilient, can take a lot of abuse before it starts showing the wear and tear. And that's what happens with our food. For a long time, we might be putting in the wrong stuff. For a long time, we might be putting in the cheap fuel, but it doesn't show up. When it shows up, though, it can show up in some pretty rough ways. And one place it often shows up is as we're adding those extra pounds on our body that is not designed to hold. And so when we do that, we find ourselves having fueled ourselves into a crisis. So is fuel just, is food just food? No, fuel is not just fuel. Food is not just food. And we, we know that, right? We know that there is a difference between when we're eating junk food all the time and when we're eating healthy food. And we know the difference between adding desserts all the time and and being a little more careful. We know the difference between the calories coming from candy or junk food and the calories coming from whole foods and fruits and vegetables. So we already know that question is, is there. Is food really that important? It is crucial because it is what fuels your system all the way down to the cells. Those cells, the mitochondria and the cells that are building up the power of your cells are looking for the energy. And so it's not just fuel, it's whether it's great fuel or bad fuel. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times when you just put some bad stuff in there just because, you know, it's it's too tempting. We don't have to have a 100% high test, but we do need to be aware of the fact that what we're putting into our system is going to have a long-term impact on our health. And that awareness sometimes changes the structure just by being aware of what we're doing. Okay, so the second question is, do you advocate gluten-free for everyone? Another good question, and one that we read about all the time. I had to go gluten-free because I discovered this gluten-free or gluten reaction I had in my gut, and I didn't realize it. I, I thought that everybody had a sore tummy. I thought that everybody had the same kind of discomfort that I was having all the time, and until I eliminated it from my diet and I wasn't eliminating it to get rid of gluten, but because I got rid of wheat and everything white from my diet for a period of time, I didn't realize what was going on. And so when I put gluten in my body, I suddenly realized what was happening because I hadn't felt it for months. That's when I discovered my own gluten sensitivity. So do I recommend it for everyone? No, that's that's freely a choice that people make. Some people will find that they have a gluten sensitivity they didn't know about. The bigger issue for me is the fact that we're getting gluten from processed flour. And so the processed flour is the bigger issue for me of how quickly it turns to sugar in our system. Instead of it being like eating wheat out in the field, when we grind it down and refine it and take out all of those hard to digest pieces, we make it into one step removed from sugar. And so when we're eating anything that's made from flour, which has gluten in it, then we're getting an instant load of sugar. Gluten is simply a substance in that flour that it holds the bread together, holds the dough together, the pasta together. It's kind of the, the the gluten is the kind of the holder, the cement in there, the protein structure in there. I am more concerned about what it's in the flour for other people. For myself, I'm as equally concerned with the reaction I have. Now let's go that kind of brings us to the the third question which was lots of people say gluten is not an issue except for celiacs. It is true that there is some controversy around whether gluten makes that big of a difference or not. So I can only tell you from my personal and and familial experience watching my family go through it and the experience of people I've known. There are lots of researchers who believe that celiacs is kind of the the far end of a spectrum of sensitivity, and that kind of makes sense. If you think of celiacs as an extreme allergic reaction to gluten, there probably are some lesser reactions to gluten on the way back, just like there are lesser reactions to other allergens that we all have. So now there's a lot of research showing that it is a spectrum And the spectrum is from people who have no reactivity to people who have celiacs and are in life-threatening situations when they come in contact with gluten. I'm not that point. If I get gluten into my diet, I just feel bad. My stomach hurts. But I watch other people who have that the celiacs reaction where it really is life-threatening. And I've watched in my family where people are even more reactive than I am and others are less reactive. My wife and I both went gluten-free about the same time. She had no difference whether she was eating flour or not, eating bread or not. My father and my mother went gluten-free. My father can eat bread and has no reaction. My mother has a strong reaction. So there is a genetic piece in there. I truly believe that in my family, we have a gene that is about having some reaction to gluten. So um, I don't agree with those just from my own history and watching those around me that it's either you have celiacs or gluten is no big deal. Now, there are a lot of people jumping on the gluten-free bandwagon that maybe you are doing it for health reasons, for other health reasons, and that's great. That's fine to do. The problem really is not so much about eliminating gluten from your diet as much as the industries that are trying to sell us all these gluten-free foods that they've priced higher and they've processed more. So it's not just the gluten. We have to look at that as one element in the process of finding what's best as the fuel for our body. I don't believe that gluten is a problem for everybody, but it is certainly a problem for me. And I also believe that there is some evidence that shows that the reason is the way we've cultivated flour, now flour wheat, wheat is far from what it would have been for our ancient ancestors when they first started eating that. Okay, so the next question is carbs are not the problem. It is the calories and we need carbs for energy. Now I've heard this a lot from people because I really decided that the fuel, my major fuel source, needed to come from fat in my diet, not carbs. And so I eat a pretty pretty low carb diet. Not everybody wants to do that. That's fine. But I think we're beyond the myth of carb loading as being the way to do it. I believe that uh, carbs are part of the problem. Not the only problem. There is a calorie issue. At some point, you can only process so many calories in your body. The problem is how many of those calories are carb in our diet. We overwhelm our system with carbs. What happens with carbs? Well, they're immediately converted into sugar in our system, at least the simple carbs that we tend to get in our diet. There are complex carbs, which is a little different, has much more of an effort in our body to process down. But generally, when we're eating carbs these days, we're eating simple carbs, and our body gets a super shot of sugar and the sugar spikes up and then you begin to watch the cycle of carbs where you eat something, your blood sugar goes up and then because it, it processes it and your body tries to cope with that blood sugar, it drops back down to a low point which leads to a craving for more carbs and up we go and down we go and we watch that in the lives of people on an everyday basis. Think about what happens when you eat a carb-laden breakfast, maybe waffles or pancakes or even cereals, some, some sugary cereals, and you, you realize that at mid-morning you're hungry and you're tired and you th- feel lethargic. That has nothing to do or it might not have as much to do with the sleep the night before as what you ate for breakfast. Or how about that mid-afternoon lull where you just can't, don't feel like you can keep your eyes open and then you think back and realize that at lunch you had a pasta dish or a big sandwich or something that was very heavily carb-laden. Maybe you went to the Mexican restaurant and and really took some carbs in. But either way, you realize that there is an aftermath to it. It's a little harder to notice at night uh, with dinner because often we're already feeling tired by that time and and so we can't see the difference. But uh, if you eat a, a heavy carb breakfast and then the next day eat a heavy protein breakfast of eggs and and meat or something like that, you'll notice a difference mid-morning of how your body processes it. There's another piece to this carb puzzle, and that's tied into how our bodies developed, how our chemistry developed for millennia. And that would be that the only time we would be really exposed to these simple carbs, the simple sugars, which would have we'd found in fruit at that point, not even from our vegetables or even our grains, but we'd find in fruit. Well, when do we find fruit in our diet? It's always at the end of the growing season right before food gets a little more scarce. And so sugar in our body is a signal for our body to store any extra calories it can. Uh, to store it up for the cold months. And so sometimes our bodies kind of go into kind of a, a little bit of a hibernation and it's not even burning as calories as efficiently as it could because the sugar's there and that means store up. And so what ends up happening is that we are in a constant cycle of storing up in our system, of storing those extra calories in our system. And we know what happens with those stored calories. They're stored as extra uh, padding, extra fat in our our system. uh, And that has its own ramifications for our health. So carbs, they are a part of our diet, Complex carbs are a better part of our diet, but either way, I think that we have been uh, raised and taught that carbs are not as big of a deal as I think they really are for our system. So are carbs just neutral? No. Should they be our primary source of energy? I believe not. Uh, I believe that uh, our adaptation to lots of carbs is for our body to get used to trying to burn them rather than being much more efficient in the fat burning uh, arena of where our body is actually turning to fat to use as an energy source. Okay, so the next question was, so are you are one of those cavemen people all about paleo. Isn't that a fad? Well, first, let's talk about the fad piece. What we're really trying to do is move back, for those who are in favor of kind of eating that whole food method, of moving back to the way we would have eaten for millennia ago. And so it's not so much a fad now as returning to uh, as similar as we can back then. And the fact is that our ancestors, if they did not die from um, from a, a, an infection or an illness or they did not die as in childbirth or in giving birth, they could live to an older age. And so when people come up and say, well, you know, you you can't believe that because the the normal age expectation then was like 35 or 45. What they're miscalculating is, if I cut myself and got an infection, there was no way of treating it. And I'm not ready to give up modern medicine. If I got an illness, there's no way of treating it. And so, Now, you start noticing these trends. If somebody dies um, as an infant, which was very common then, then that kind of balances out with somebody who was much older. And so while the mean of the age might have been much younger than it is now, those who were able to move through and avoid death in uh, child, being a child or childbearing or from illness or infection that could now be treated actually lived a long time and a healthy time. So we're trying to get back to the time where we're bringing in our modern medicine, but we're also aware of how our health has become affected by modern life. And processed food tends to be one of those big things. If we look around the world at what happens when processed American Western food comes into cultures, they tend to start having problems with illnesses and diseases that they never had before. And so the paleo group, if you put that under a big umbrella – is trying to get back to eating whole foods, eating more healthy foods, and less processed foods. And, and for that, I am certainly in favor. And then that talks about eating uh, the less processed, then we're talking about eating more vegetables and fruits and uh, healthy uh, fats and healthy lean um, proteins. And I don't know that and once you get to underneath it all, if you can uh, punch many holes in that perspective, that all of that is about eating a much more simple, direct way and being aware of how our food is being processed. Um, so, yes, in terms of do I see uh, my diet uh, and under one rubric, it's much more a paleo diet. But let me also say that there are those who are very, very strict in paleo and those who believe that what you're really shooting for is about an 80 percent, correct, 80 to 85 percent. And then it'll take care of itself. I'm not as strict as some others I know. Um, I still eat ice cream and I eat other desserts, but I'm careful about where they enter into my life. Um, Okay, so that takes care of the caveman. But I do want to point one other thing out. The paleo diet was not one diet, but lots of different diets scattered around the world. And so if you use that as a rubric, it's possible to be vegetarian or many other ways of eating that are still under the paleo rubric when you get away from the processed foods that we tend to overindulge in and get back to the whole foods. And and so staying with lots of vegetables and some fruits and uh, heavy and, and very healthy fats which include things like coconut oil and avocados and palm oil and um and some of the other oils that people have uh, felt were were uh, a little dangerous because of um the industry world uh, including olive oil uh, we what what happened is we got away from the monounsaturated fats for the polyunsaturated fats uh, and so if you think about the monosaturated fats, they were the one the saturated fats are the ones that uh, we find in avocados and palm oil and, um, and uh, coconut oil. The polyunsaturated fats are the ones that we find in the seed oils that are sitting for cooking in lots of places. And what we now know is the polyunsaturated fats that we were sold for years as being the healthy choice creates inflammation and damage in our system. But the others don't. And so part of that is changing our mentality on what the industry tells us is healthy and finding out what might have been a little more healthy uh, far back in time. Okay, so another question is, is sugar really that addictive? It's a great question. We are surrounded by sugar in ways that our ancestors would not have been. Uh, we put sugar into our system on a daily basis, and we don't recognize it when we're grabbing a Coke. And oh, by the way, when you grab a diet drink, your body still thinks you're putting sugar in just because of how our brain and our body chemistry acts. And so we're not fooling it. Uh, we think we are, but our body reacts the same way. So now that we're surrounded by sugar, we don't recognize how often we're loading our body up. Our ancestors would not have had as easy an access, and so their craving for sugar would not be spiked every day. But to like the taste of sugar is part of that whole getting what energy we can in our body when foods are rare, when foods are scarce. And so we're kind of rigged up to want that taste. The problem is when we can get it all of the time. We begin to build up a tolerance, and our body has an insulinic response to sugar unless we overwhelm it. And then our body begins to do other things, which brings us to pre-diabetes and diabetic responses in our body uh, for type 2 diabetes, because our body doesn't know what to do with that constant onslaught of sugar. So yeah, I really think that sugar is a very addictive substance, one that is around us all the time, so it's very hard to even eliminate. But when I have worked on eliminating it, I realized how much of an addiction I had by what happened to my thinking process. And so if you want to test it out, the simple thing is to decide that for the next seven days, you don't even have to do it for a month or two months or whatever else, but for the next seven days, you're going to eliminate all the processed sugar you can from your diet. I will warn you that it'll sneak in lots of different places if you're you're putting uh, salad dressing on your salad you're getting some sugar. Uh, And so there are a lot of places where it's hidden. You just kind of need to watch for where that is. But take it out. Stop your sugary drinks. Stop adding sugar to coffees and teas. Uh, Stop eating dessert. Uh, Stop um, making those choices that are those simple sugars. So chips and pretzels and all those things. Just eliminate that for one week. That's all. One week. Replace it with whole foods. A couple of things are going to happen. One is you're going to feel better, and two is you're going to have a craving for sugar. You're going to have thoughts that are intrusive thoughts about that sugar. So do I believe that sugar is addictive? Absolutely. I've seen it in myself, and I've watched other people enough to know that because sugar is so easily around us, we lose track of how addictive it is. When we have those cravings, when we're deciding we just have to have that soft drink or just have to have those afternoon chips or that candy bar, that's our body convincing us to get a little more sugar in there to fix that addiction that we have. Okay, then somebody else who is a little more knowledgeable about these things says, what about IF? If you're not familiar with IF, you might have heard it in um, some some article or something. IF is intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting does not mean starving yourself to death. It means uh, having longer spaces between meals. In our culture, many people will get up early, have breakfast, have lunch, maybe an afternoon snack, then eat dinner, and then follow that up with an evening dessert. So they're basically eating from about 7 at night until about 9 at night. So they have a 14-hour eating window and and a 10-hour not eating window. People who do intermittent fasting have different uh, calibrations. Some people do an eight-hour window, which takes six hours of eating out, or a four-hour window or a six-hour window, or they'll do a day fast. And what they're trying to do is allow their body to reset. It allows their liver to process all the fat that's in there that's been built up over the, that pre- prior date and start again. So um, I do some intermittent fasting by not eating breakfast. I pick up at lunch and I try to end at dinner. And so it's a much shortened window. And uh, what I notice immediately is a change in my energy level after I got used to the hunger pains that were trying to convince me to grab something. I notice a difference in my energy and also in my weight. So I think that intermittent fasting is something to look at. I do want to warn, though, that... If you are not in the habit of looking of eating in an intermittent fasting way and you have some health concerns, you don't want to do that without consulting with a doctor and making sure you're following a set protocol on how to do that. For a healthy person who is eating a pretty healthy diet and doing some healthy exercise, intermittent fasting is something to look at to really get your body back into the place. Remember, our ancestors didn't have a choice of three meals a day plus a dessert and maybe a snack in between. That wasn't an option. Food would have been grabbed when there was food available, and then they might go for days without it. And so their body was built for intermittent fasting. Their body was naturally in a state of intermittent fasting, and that makes a big difference in how their body processes those calories. Okay, and then somebody says, so what do you eat on a normal day? Well, when I get up in the morning, I have coffee and I put some coconut oil in that coffee. Uh, And um, there are different terms for that, but Bulletproof Coffee has some butter and coconut oil in it. So that's how I start my day. That puts me uh, without any carbs all the way up until either late afternoon or late morning or at lunchtime. Um, And late morning, if I've exercised that morning, I'll eat something that is a protein uh, complex carb mix. Uh, And so I have have some different uh, homemade bars that do that for me at lunchtime, on a typical day, I'll have a salad with a lean protein in it. And the salad's dressing is lemon oil, lemon juice and olive oil. That's it. And it's a pretty big salad. Um, and so uh, then I might have some nuts during the day, some uh, mixed nuts that I always try to get in. And at dinner would be a pretty simple meal of, um, of some veggies that are delicious and some fruit and lean protein. And a lot of that uh, times that will be cooked in some healthy fat. Um, that's the bulk of of my diet. Uh, I will admit that I have a soft spot for ice cream and so every now and then I also have ice cream at night, um, but that's outside of what I consider to be my normal piece. I try to get those two big meals in at lunch and dinner um, and I make sure that I've avoided uh, some of the bad stuff, some of the processed food. Now do I do that every day? No. there are times when we're out somewhere eating somewhere and I don't get exactly what I want but I know how to choose even from those places. So I try to uh, have the bulk of my meals to be uh, simple vegetables prepared nicely. I mean, this is not uh, without taste, but taste comes from the fat and the herbs that we put on them and a simple protein and some fruit. Uh, and I try to to uh, make it as delicious as possible. Uh, I, I cook for my family. And so uh, I have no problem doing that. So that's my normal kind of typical day. Somebody said sounds restrictive when they were hearing piece of that. I found it to be freeing because all of those uh, processed foods, if you really taste them, you, you realize you're not much about them. In fact, the further I've gotten away from them, the more I've realized that they really don't taste good and that one of the ways we cope with the food we eat is to eat it really fast so we don't have to really notice the the textures in our mouth and the, and the taste in our mouth. And So one of the reasons that a lot of people I've found have really kind of taken to eating their fast food while they're doing something else is because it takes their mind off the fast food they're putting in. Sometimes there's an addictive piece to that, and you'll notice that of people around you, but... When I look at my diet, I feel like it's freed up. I have lots of choices. I've eliminated some, but we always eliminate some. And interesting to me, the people who tell me about their restrictive diet, I've even had some who were vegetarians, who ate no vegetables. They were pastatarians or or something else. Uh, And so what you realize is everybody has a somewhat restrictive palate. We only eat a certain number of things. And what I try to do is is enlarge my palate with healthier things and find healthier alternatives. Uh, so I don't find it to be particularly restrictive. Uh, I do find it to be a different mindset, to be thinking about, am I fueling my system or am I just grabbing food because I want to put something in and, and alleviate some craving that I have? For me, every time there's an addiction involved, it's restrictive. It's, it's getting you to take something. And so I'm just trying to find a healthier way of fueling my system. Okay. And so then somebody says, I eat out. How can I do that healthily? And what I've discovered is that I can pretty much eat anywhere, anywhere out and find a healthy way of doing it. If we go to an Italian restaurant, I can usually get them to use olive oil and a chicken breast uh, and a salad. That's pretty easy. And when I go to, uh, on the road to fast food places, I can generally get meat without a bun or a salad uh, or something that's healthy. And so you do have to make choices. And that's the big thing is making a choice between the easy and quick or the effective and healthy. And sometimes it's not really that big of a difference in the, the, how speedy you can do it, but it does take a thoughtfulness and an idea of what you're trying to do. My friend who said to me, "I eat to live, I don't live to eat," I think was on to something, but what I realized was, I do both, that I really enjoy food, but I want to make sure the food I'm putting in is healthy for me and is nourishing for me and is fueling my body. And I'm just inviting people to take that same journey as I did, to discover that your body really does need the fuel that's going to take it through your thriving life. And this is Lee Balkum, wishing you a thriving life. You've been listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThrivologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it.